Hello, ladies. My name is Wendy Lyon, and I'm part of the Summer Women in the Word teaching team. And I wish that we could be here in person, but I'm so glad we get to continue studying online. We're going to continue today to learn about God's Hesed in a love story. It's a different kind of love story where the bride and groom meet each other in a very unusual way. People tend to roll their eyes when they hear about how I met David, my husband, because we met at the foot of a cross. Really, we did. We met at the foot of a cross. We were both part of a small church and they had an Easter cantata where the choir sang through the whole cantata. And this particular year, they decided to have silent drama during the cantata. Somehow, David and I ended up in the silent drama and all we had to do was sit at the foot of a cross and act like we were worshiping silently. Well, this cantata practice took three hours. So we had a long time to get to know each other. And I wish I could say that we talked about spiritual things at the foot of the cross, but we didn't. But David did ask me on a date to go rock climbing. Now, I didn't know anything about rock climbing. I'd never been rock climbing. So the words that flew out of my mouth before I could catch them said, oh, I love rock climbing because I would go anywhere to be with David. That's how David and I met at the foot of a cross. The Old Testament story today is a love story between two people who end up engaged and to be married. It's detailed, it's descriptive, it's full of suspense and dialogue, and it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. In fact, it's one of the longest chapters in the top 10 long chapters in the entire Bible. And at the center of this love story is a servant and he's only referred to as the man. This man is a servant to Abraham. And while most of us are familiar with Abraham, I've never paid much attention to the servant. So this has been a fun study for me. Abraham gives his servant the task of finding a bride for his son, Isaac. And with very little instruction on how to find this bride, the servant leans into God's hesed and trusts him to provide. This servant's prayer demonstrates his deep faith in God and it's packed full of lessons for us on how to pray. Hesed is the Hebrew word used to describe the deep love of God. And different translations use the word to describe hesed as unfailing, loyal, kind, merciful, and faithful. I'm reading from the ESV today, which used use the word steadfast love, which means unwavering and faithful. So where you see the word steadfast love, I'm using the word faithful because it best describes God's character in this story. Now, in order to fully understand the servant's prayer and how it relates to this love story, we need to find out who is this servant? Who's getting married? Why is the servant's prayer play a major role in, his, in this engagement? We can find out more in Genesis 24. So open up your Bibles to chapter 24, and we're going to read verses one and two together. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. 
And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest in his household who had had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now we learn from verses one and two that he was the oldest in Abraham's household who was put in charge of all that he had. We can also find out more about this man in Genesis 15 in a prayer that Abraham made to God. Look on your verse sheet at Genesis 15. Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless and the heir of my house, house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram, Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So even though the servant is only referred to as the man in Genesis 24, most commentators agree that this man is in fact Eleazar, Abraham's most trusted servant. Eleazar was loyal, trustworthy. He was Abraham's number one right-hand man. And the fact that Abraham mentioned Eleazar as his possible possible heir speaks highly of him. And it's possible the reason he's mentioned only as the man is because it highlights Eliezer's humility. He was humble as a humble and obedient servant to Abraham. Abraham was about a hundred years old during the time of this story and Isaac was almost 40 years old and it was time for Isaac to find a wife. Let's look at chapter 24, verse two. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest in his household who had, been, had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So Abraham tells his most trusted servant, Eliezer to swear an oath. And by placing his, the hand on Abraham's thigh meant this oath was serious. And taking this oath, um, if it was not carried out, the children of Abraham could avenge Eliezer's unfaithfulness. So this was a very serious oath. Abraham is insistent that Eliezer not find a wife from the land of Canaan. And that is where they, their current dwelling place at this time. And he gave him two requirements. One, he, the wife must be from the town of Nahor. That's Abraham's hometown. The second one is the bride must be a kindred or a relative of Abraham's. Now, Nahor was 500 miles away, a month travel by camel or by foot. And that doesn't count resting or watering your camel. So this trip could have taken almost two months to get to Nahor it would have been way easier to find a wife locally right there in Canaan. But Canaan was a pagan land. It was full of idol worship and Abraham didn't want his family members pulled away from worshiping another God, worshiping God. And in Nahor, Abraham's family still followed the Lord. So let's see how Eliezer responds to this oath in verse five. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. 
Must I then take your son back to the land from which he came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me, swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land and he will send his angels before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. You know, when Eleazar questions Abraham and says, perhaps, we say that too sometimes, what if, perhaps, what if the bride doesn't want to leave? Great question. If someone asked me, hey, will you leave your entire family, everything familiar, and travel with me and my sweaty guys and all these camels for two months to meet a future husband that you've never met, to live in a land that is unfamiliar to you, and it's a godly land, godless land, I think my answer would have been no way. Eliezer had a backup plan saying, if she won't leave Nahor, should I try again next time and bring Isaac with me? Abraham responds to plan B, emphasizing not to take Isaac back there and then reminds Eliezer of God's words given to him in a covenant. Abraham confirms his, confirms his God's faithfulness to the promise and repent, repeats God's word to strengthen Eliezer. He repeats his words, to your offspring, I will give this land and he will send an angel before you. This was a promise made to Abraham in a covenant called the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what is a covenant? I found a great definition. A covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that defines the conditions of their relationship. Even though there are two parties involved, God and man, man can never negotiate with God or change the terms of the covenant. He can only accept the covenant obligations or reject them. According to the covenant, God would give Abraham three things, land, descendants, and blessing. The first part of the covenant promised Abraham land. Let's look at Genesis 12 on your verse sheet. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God told Abraham to pack up his family, move from Nahor to Canaan. And by faith, Abraham moved and God promised to give him the give him the land of Canaan and populate it with his descendants. This nation would form the nation of Israel who would be blessed by God as his people. God also promised descendants. Now to have a nation, one must have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, neither of which Abraham had, but God made an everlasting promise to him. Look at Genesis 15, 5 on your verse sheet. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. 
And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, as numerous as the stars. Now the third part of this promise would be a blessing for Abraham's family for generations to come. So look at this third part. It's in Genesis 17 on your verse sheet. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Abraham was promised offspring. So in order to have offspring, Isaac needed a wife. And from that line of Abraham and Isaac, a savior our Savior, Jesus Christ, would come to bless all mankind. The promise of the blessings in the covenant, covenant was a promise of eternal life with God, dwelling with them. And by taking this oath, God is bringing Eliezer into kingdom work. And that kingdom work would affect us in the future. Warren Wiersbe says it well, Isaac was the living link to God's great plan of salvation. Leaning into God's faithfulness to the covenant, Eliezer chooses to step into that work. He swears to the conditions of the oath, relying on God's faithfulness to prosper his journey. The first request from Abraham was to, to travel to his, his hometown of Nahar. That is something Eliezer could do. So let's look at verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Now, the well was the most opportune place to find a girl. So it was a natural place for Eliezer to land. It was a social time for women. They gathered their, their nightly and there were, just, there were lots of women. So the choices were greater for Eliezer. But Eli, Abraham's instruction said to go, go to Nahor, but the instructions stopped there. It would have been really helpful if he had known, hey, this girl that you're supposed to choose for Isaac will be tall, or she carries her water on her left hip instead of her right hip. Eliezer needed help identifying the woman for Isaac. So where does he go for help? He runs to God in prayer. Prayer is Eliezer's starting point. And this is where we're going to learn so much about Eliezer's faith. It's where we're going to learn so much about God. So let's start reading verse 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let your let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, 
I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Eliezer begins with a plea to God to grant him success, showing steadfast love. He's praying out of God's hesed, his faithful love to give him success. And he presents himself fully incapable of finding a bride on his own. He prays with humility, knowing he's completely dependent on God and thoroughly convinced of his power to provide. So convinced that his request is very specific. The prayer asks that the bride would respond, drink and I will water your camels too. Which would set the woman apart. So this bride would, would be kind and she would have to be very generous. This takes great confidence to approach God with such detail. He prays with confidence, making his request specific. So I can't help ask the question, can we pray with confidence and humility at the same time? Yes. Humility is knowing who we are in light of who God is. Knowing that apart from him, we can do nothing. And he holds all the power so we can approach God with confidence in who he is. Eliezer didn't have confidence to pray because he's good. He had confidence in approaching God because God is good. How does Eliezer know how to pray this way? How does he know God this way? He's been living alongside Abraham most of his life. Eliezer heard Abraham talk to God. He saw how Abraham waited on God and how God responded to Abraham. There are numerous examples in the Bible of Abraham's faith. So we're going to look at some of those examples of the ways Abraham's faith influenced Eliezer. So let's look at this uh, first example. We can look back at the words of Abra that Abraham said to God. Remember the verse at the beginning where Abraham is asking God about having a son and having descendants. And he said, I am childless. Will Eliezer be my heir? He could ask this of God because God had promised him descendants in the covenant. Look at Genesis 18 on your verse sheet. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And the Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. And just as God had said, Isaac bore us. Isaac was born a year later. Eliezer learned from Abraham that nothing is too hard for the Lord. So he could pray boldly. He could pray confidently. He could pray with a specific request. Another example is one of the greatest examples of Abraham's faith in God. When God asked Abraham to do something no father would ever want to do with their only son, to give Isaac back to God. Look at Genesis 22, 2 on your verse sheet. God asked Abraham 
Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom I love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall, I shall tell you. So God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son that he had just given him, Isaac. So Abraham takes two servants. Eliezer was probably one of those servants up to Mount Moriah. And just before the top of Mount Moriah, Abraham told both those servants to stay back a bit. Stay behind while he and Isaac went up to prepare the altar. Isaac, noticing there was no sacrifice available, he asked, where's the lamb? And Abraham responded, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham knew God planned a future around Isaac so the sacrifice may not have made any sense. But he responds in obedience. That is faith. Armed with the same faith, he witnessed in Abraham, Eliezer prays, believing God will provide out of his faithfulness to Abraham. Lastly, we, Eliezer learned God always responds with his provision. Look at Look at um, Genesis 22, 12 to 14 on your verse sheet. God says, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is still called today. God had provided a substitute sacrifice for his son, Isaac. Then, and from the line of Abraham, Jesus would become that substitute sacrifice for us. This is a future blessing that we will receive. Eliezer learned that when he asked, that when he prays asking for provision, God responds. His life was completely changed by Abraham's faithful influence. One takeaway I have from this lesson, I can't help but mention, is that we cannot ignore how our faith influences those around us. We may unknowingly be teaching those around us how to pray out of God's faithful love for us. What are some reasons we often don't approach God in prayer with the same confidence as Eliezer? One of those reasons is unbelief. When I don't have faith, when I pray and believe God says who he is, I'm saying one of two things. Either God cannot answer this prayer or God will not answer this prayer. If I say he cannot, I'm questioning his sovereignty and his power. If I say he will not, I'm questioning his goodness. Praying in faith means I believe he can and I believe he will in so far as it's consistent with his glory because God is good. And when we believe this, we can approach him in confidence. 
Another reason we often don't pray with faith like Eleazar is sometimes our faith is misplaced. It's focused on us. When the object of our pr my prayer is my faith, feeling like I need to figure everything out before I get to God, I need to get all my ducks in a row, I need to get in line with God, I need to figure out how His will for me or His will for me or work my faith to a place where God will answer before I approach Him. But the object of our faith is God himself. We come before him in prayer just as we are, which leads me to the next reason we can approach him. We can approach him with great confidence. We can, because he wants us there. He wants us there in his, his presence. He delights in our prayers. Prayer brings us into a deeper fellowship with God, and he longs for us to draw close to him. We don't have to come to him like someone else, we don't have to pray like someone else. We don't have to have the same words as someone else. We just come as we are. We say, here's my heart. When God called Abraham in Genesis 22, before he asked him to sacrifice Isaac, he calls out his name Abraham and Abraham said, here I am. And Eliezer begins his prayer, same way. Behold, here I am, standing by a well of water. We come as we are saying, here I am. Here's my heart. Here's what I'm worried about. Speak truth to my heart. God will respond and meet you right where you are. He always responds. And let's see the exciting way he responds to Eliezer's prayer. Look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcal, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have all finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. God responded immediately before Eliezer had even finished praying, Rebecca appeared. He was, she was right there. And I think it's great. Moses lets us in on Rebecca's kindred. Uh, Eliezer doesn't know this yet, but we do. His prayer has been answered. She is related to Abraham. She is the granddaughter of Abraham's brother, Nahor. But here's the best part. Rebecca answers specifically, drink my Lord and I will draw water for your camels also. And she adds, until they have finished drinking. Eliezer prayed God would answer the specific request out of God's faithfulness. And he did. Rebecca responded precisely 
and generously and kindly beyond what Eliezer had asked because God answers abundantly. My response would be, it's the one. Let's go. Come on, let's go back to Canaan. But Eliezer chooses to wait. He waits on God. And this is my favorite verse in the entire passage. I'm gonna read it again. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Eliezer responds by gazing at her in silence. Why did he do this? It could be that he was just so overwhelmed I think my response would be the same. Wait, what? This is too good to be true. She came, she came out, she answered my prayer specifically. He had to take a moment to catch his breath. And with wisdom, he did not wanna be hasty. So Eliezer takes his time and to wait on the Lord and spends alone time with him in prayer, gazing at God's providence. We've seen how Eliezer Eliezer prays and he talks to God. We've read his request, but now we get to see how he listens to God and learns from God. No talking, just silence. How long did he sit there gazing at Rebecca? Well, Eliezer had 10 camels and I read that camels can drink 30 gallons of water in less than 15 minutes. So this would have been three hours of gazing in silence. He's careful, wise, and continues to humbly wait on God for leading. You know, silence is a prerequisite for hearing God, and waiting can give us additional insight. For some of you during this time of quarantine, the amount of silence you have has greatly increased. And for some of you, it's almost non-existent. And I would put myself closer to the non-existent category. I've had to find creative ways to find time with the Lord. At hours and when I'm normally asleep, I notice God waking me up at night. And sometimes someone who needs prayer will pop in my head. And that's the time I'm able to use with no distractions to spend time with the Lord and pray. That's where I have silence right now. It's tough times like these where we have lots of needs. And you may be asking God, where's my next job? I've lost my job. What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my relationships? It's so important to gaze at this time. And gazing reminds us that God provided for us in the past and we can trust him to provide for us today. You know, at Christ Chapel, we have a thing called a prayer retreat. And I love going because it gives extended alone time with God in prayer. And one time, one time I attended one where I met a single mom and talked to her for a while. And as we all know, there's unique challenges with single moms and providing for their family. So I heard her give me some of those challenges. At the prayer retreat on the morning, there's always a group of moms that head out and watch the sunrise. I am not one of those moms. I usually like staying in bed, but this morning I decided I'm gonna go out and watch the sunrise with this group of moms. Well, the single mom was there watching the sunrise. And so after we stood there watching quietly the beautiful sunrise, I looked at her and I said, wasn't that beautiful? 
And she said, it was beautiful, but look at all these other sunrises. And she pulls out her phone and she starts swiping and showing me sunrise after sunrise after sunrise that she had watched from her very own kitchen window. Now I was humbled by this because I was patting myself on the back just for getting there early one time. And she said, I said, you look at the sunrise every single morning? And she said, yes, because the sun always comes up. And it reminds me of God's faithfulness. He always provides a sunrise and he will always provide for me. The Bible says his creation pours forth speech. She could count on that sudden sunrise every morning, so she chose to gaze at his creation as a reminder of who God is. This woman was peaceful about her situation and spending time with God in silent, gazing at her creation provided exactly what she needed, his peace. If Eliezer sat in quiet to learn, then God was teaching him in his quiet. Prayer involves silent gazing at God so he can teach us about himself. There's a short verse on your verse sheet. Look at Psalm 4610. It's worth memorizing. Be still and know that I am God. We can learn from Eliezer that we can approach God with requests, but we can also approach God in silence and listen because it's in the silence he speaks to us. For my friend, it was a sunrise. But for Eleazar, it was answered prayer. Emerging from time alone with God, Eleazar confidently moves forward with God's plan. Let's look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcal, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. There was one important thing Eliezer didn't know. He still was unknown. So he grabs that jewelry and he asks the final question. Please tell me, whose daughter are you? And Rebecca reveals that she is a kindred to Abraham's family. God confirmed his provision by revealing Rebecca's relationship to Abraham. Now here's the third time we see Hesed as God's steadfast, faithful love. And Eliezer prays out of God's Hesed. We saw him act on God's Hesed. And now he responds in worship out of God's hesed. Eliezer worships God for remaining faithful to his promise and guiding him to Rebecca. This prayer has made me realize how much time I spend asking for requests in my prayer to God. I lay them all out there and how little time I spend 
just in silence worshiping God. Worship is a part of that humility, recognizing that God is the source of everything. You know, God didn't give us worship because he needs to hear how great he is. God gave us worship because we need to be reminded of how great he is. We need to hear how good he is. So when I pray, I'm going to spend more time in worship. How can we pray like Eleazar? He's a great model for prayer. How can we pray with confidence and belief, knowing God is faithful? We can pray and God is faith. We can, can pray out of God's faithfulness by praying with humble confidence and waiting with expectation. Waiting is where spiritual growth happens. It's a mark of a faithful Christian to wait. Trusting God will answer according to what brings him glory. Look at Micah 7, 7 on your verse sheet. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Now the answer may be different than what we expected, but his answer is always better. And his answer will always be in his timing, not ours. So we can wait well. Because God is faithful, we can believe he will provide in his timing. And the truth is, God's already provided. He knows what we need. Look at Matthew 6, 8 on your verse sheet. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. God had already provided a, a, chosen a bride for Eliezer. And nowhere in this passage do we hear God tell Eliezer, you have such little faith. Why are you making requests with such little faith, with specific dialogue saying, she'll water my camels too. Why are you asking me that? God met Eliezer's personal need to help him recognize that provision. He didn't have to do that, but he wanted to out of his faithful, hesed love. It's not a sign of weakness or lack of faith. It's a sign of great faith that we need his help. It brings us into a deeper personal relationship with him, knowing he will provide. Look at Philippians 4.19 on your verse sheet. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. He will supply it. Because God is faithful, we can gaze at answered prayer with gratitude. What does God give us when we gaze at answered prayer? Peace. His peace. We can't have peace on our own. He gives us his peace. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His peace he gives us. That's how he provides. That's our need. And because he is faithful, we can praise him always because he is our provider. God's hesed moves forward his plan for Isaac to find a wife in Abraham's lifetime. So that promise will continue and the blessing is passed down through generations. This is a beautiful love story that's not only between Isaac and Rebekah, 
or between God and Abraham, and it's between Eliezer and God. It's, I hope you see the greater love story, that God's love moves forward his plan through Isaac, so we have a savior. Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection would allow us to live forever with God. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you become the bride of Christ. I hope this story changes the way you pray. He's faithful. He delights in hearing your prayers. He delights in providing for your needs because of his hesed. He is our faithful provider. Let me close this in prayer. God, I thank you for loving us in such a deep way. We can't even begin to comprehend your love for us. You are good. You are faithful. You delight in hearing our prayer. My prayer is that we know you more by drawing close to you in prayer every day. And we ask this in your name. Amen.